Thank you for joining us. You are listening to a ministry of Crossview Church with Pastor Kevin Hardcastle. Anyways, the announcements. No, there's no announcements today. Uh, so today, uh, as you can see here by this you know, wonderful display, I don't know where you got that image, but that's kind of cool. Um, today I'm going to be talking about seeing a victory. And I know we just sang this song, uh, I'm going to see a victory. And it's funny is that when I was preparing this message, uh, the title of this message is actually The Wall Will Fall. Um, but as, as we were talking about worship and, and I'm going to see a victory, I think this is kind of a little bit more fitting. So if you have your Bibles with you, uh, turn with me over to Joshua chapter 6. And you're just going to hold your thumb there. We're going to use that to kind of springboard our message just a little bit today. Um, but just to give you kind of a recap um, of the Israelites, I know a lot of us know the story of the Israelites, but the Israelites were, were enslaved in Egypt for 430 years. And, and as, the, uh, as the Israelites were enslaved there, of course, they were praying and praying and praying. God, will you get us out of here? God, will you get us out of here? God, would you please bring us out of this slavery? And the awesome news is that God had a plan all along. Now, now, 430 years, that's a long time, right? I mean, that's a long time. You think that some of the things you're waiting for is a long time. But 430 years, they're waiting to come out of the land of slavery. But God had a plan. We know the story. He sent Moses. Uh, he, he spoke to Moses through a burning what? A burning bush. Okay, we've all been to Sunday school. So he spoke to Moses through a burning bush and says, you're going to bring them out. He wasn't too sure he really wanted to do that, right? Just a little bit. But he goes ahead. He brings them in, brings them out. They end up going through the Red Sea. God brings down manna from them. They start complaining. God brings down quail. They're still complaining. Water's coming from rocks. Seas are opening up. God is still doing miracles despite their complaining, right? Despite the fact that they were disobedient. Despite the fact that they were raising idols. But the thing is, is that those people that came out of the land of slavery, out of the land of Egypt, because of their complaining, because of their disobedience, because of their raising idols, they would not be entering into the promised land. So a journey that should have taken 11 days took them 40 years. So you add 430 plus 40, 470 years, they're waiting to come into the promised land. And again, you think that you've been waiting a long time to hear from God and have him do something in your life. 470 years is a long time. But now we get over to Joshua. And the baton gets handed by God to Joshua to say, okay, Joshua, now you're going to be the one that's going to bring them out. You're going to be the one that brings them out. And Joshua's like, I don't know if I can do it. And, and God encourages him. Moses passes away. And now they come to the threshold of the, the promised land, which is the land of Canaan. They come to Jericho. Now, Jericho is a large city with large walls. The walls are about two stories high. These walls are about six feet wide. If you've seen those old movies, you know, where horses are roaming around on the top and stuff, these are the kind of walls there are. And Scripture tells us that, that Jericho actually closed their gates and sealed their walls because they knew that the Israelites were there and their God was on their side. Isn't that awesome? You know that God is on your side, and the enemy wants to seal those walls. But walls do two things. They keep some people out, and they keep some people in. Sometimes those walls keep people out. Sometimes those walls keep people in. Joshua wants in because his promised land is just waiting on the other side. So God has a plan. Here's what you're going to do. You get to these walls. You're going to march around the walls. You're going to grab the Ark of the Covenant. You're going to get the priests. Get the brass section. We want the brass section, you know, so they can go ahead and they can raise their trumpets. And you're going to walk around the walls one time every day for six days. There's only one catch. Shh. 
don't say a word. You ever brought somebody someplace to, to someplace that they're supposed to be quiet, but it's the person who just keeps talking, right? Like you go to a funeral and you're like, hey, hey, we're going to be quiet. And he's like, I wonder what he smells like, right? You're at a funeral <laughs> and, and, and you're like, shh, don't say anything. So here they're going to march around the walls, but they're supposed to be quiet except for the trumpets blasting. They go around the first day, the second day. Here's the deal. You go around one time every day for six days, but on the seventh day, on the seventh day, you're going to go around seven times. And when you get to the seventh time, when you get to the seventh time, you're going to lift up a shout of praise and victory. And Scripture says the walls will come down and you will go straight in and overtake the city. First day they come. All right. They're walking around the wall. Here we go. Trumpets blasting. Shh. Quiet. You know that person? You know? I wonder what he smells like. Uh, they're walking. They're walking around the walls. Walking, walking. Checking their pedometer, you know. <laughs> Women are like, I got to get rid of these manathies. <laughs> I've been, been having these manathies. We're just going to keep, come on, ladies, let's walk. They're walking around the first time. Second morning, they wake up. Here we go. We're doing it again, right? That butt's looking good. That's, they're walking around. They go first time, second time, third time. After time, they're probably like, gosh, man, this is taking a while. They get to the seventh day. You've got to know that the anticipation has been building because they had been walking around the same mountain in the wilderness for 40 years. Now they've been walking around the same wall for seven days. First time they walk around. Second time they walk around. Third time they walk around. Gosh, man, what are we at? Five. They keep walking. They get to six. One more time. One more time. One more time, we're going to walk around these walls. They get to that time, the seventh time. Have we made it all the way around? Have we made it all around? The trumpets are blowing. People are waiting. There's anticipation. They are ready to raise up their voice and shout. Joshua gets to that place. He's like, we're here. We're here. We're here. We're here. We're here. Shout. Everybody, now it's time. Now it's time to shout. Lift up your voices. Those people in the back, they're like, what did he say? Shout. I think he's saying, they start to hear it. I believe it would probably come like a wave, right? Just from the front. They didn't have megaphones, so. Shout, shout, shout. It's time to shout. Lift up your voices. Lift up your voices, for the Lord is giving you the city. Let's take a look. It's Joshua chapter 6, verse 15. On the seventh day, they got up at daybreak and marched around the city seven times in the same manner, except on that day, they circled the city seven times. The seventh time around, when the priest sounded the trumpet blast, Joshua commanded the army, shout, for the Lord has given you the city. That seventh time, that rumble shook the foundations of the ground. That rumble, all of a sudden, the ground shaking. Victory! Victory! This is ours! This is ours! The ground begins to shake. The walls begin to rattle. They start to see cracks form. Rocks start to fall out, and all at once it comes crashing down. And they go marching in. This is our city. You see, this is a wall that had been keeping them from the promises of God. This is a wall that was standing on the other side of God's promises. But it wasn't just the wall that was standing there representing slavery. You understand, this has gone back generations. Their grandparents had prayed for this. Their great-grandparents had prayed for this. Their great-great-great-great-great-great-great-grandparents had prayed for this. And the thing is, is sometimes we have these walls in our life as well. 
walls that are standing in the way of the promises of God in our life. And just like, just like the Israelites, they go back generations. They go back generations. Except for the walls that we're like, looking at don't look a lot like the walls uh, that, that Joshua had, the walls of Jericho. For us, these walls might look a little bit different. They look a little bit more like strongholds is what Scripture calls them, is strongholds. And your enemy puts those strongholds up to keep you away from the good things of God. Your enemy will put those strongholds up saying, I don't want you to get to the good things of God. Here's what Scripture says in John 10.10. It says that the enemy comes. He's a thief, and he comes to steal and to kill and to destroy. You're like, well, my walls don't look a lot like Jericho. They look a little bit different. For you, your walls may look a little more like depression. It's keeping you away from joy. For you, your walls may look a little more like anxiety. That's keeping you away from peace. For some of you in here, it may, may look a little bit more like insecurity that's keeping you away from doing the purpose of God. It may look a little more like sickness that's keeping you away from healing. Maybe it looks like addiction that's keeping you away from freedom, and you've been struggling with this addiction, and it's keeping you away from freedom. It may even look like guilt and shame and regret that's keeping you away from believing that you are redeemed in Christ Jesus. So Jesus says this, you have an enemy. Look to your neighbor and say, you have an enemy. Yep. Look to your other neighbor and say, you got an enemy. Doesn't feel very good to have an enemy, does it? Nobody likes to have an enemy. He's come to steal, kill, and destroy. But here's what Jesus says this. Here's what Jesus says after this. He says, but I, but I. This is a big but. And when we get to this but, the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But... But I, but I have come that you may have life and have it more abundantly. You see, the enemy wants to put up these strongholds in our life to keep you away from the good things of God. He comes to steal your hope and joy when God has come to bring you hope and joy. He comes to, to kill your family and destroy your life. He comes to destroy everything and try and keep you away from the things of God. But God says, I have come. I've got something else. And there, and there is... There's nothing that can stand in the way of God's purpose. No stronghold can stand in the way of God's purpose. So what do we do? What do we do? I think before we look at what we do, because many of us in here might have these strongholds, and for just a moment, just get that in your mind. What is that thing? What is that thing in your life that is standing in between you and the things of God and your promise? It may be something that has stemmed through generations, like God. You know, I have anxiety, but my dad had anxiety. My, my, my great-grandfather had anxiety. It's just the way I am. And the problem is, is we go ahead and we just say, well, there's a wall, but at least I'm close to God's promises. And we just resolve to sit there and just take it. What is that thing in your life? I think before we look at what we do, we have to look at what we know. Here's what we know. We know that God loves us, that he sent his son to die on the cross for us, right? So we know what? We know that we're valuable. We know this. We have a God who is a giver of good gifts. We know this also. We know that God gives us joy that is inexpressible, and that when we believe in him, he gives us peace that surpasses our own understanding. So we know that we have a God who loves us and a God who gives to us. Amen? We have a God who loves us, a God who sees us valuable, and a God that wants to give us good gifts. But here's what we also know that Jesus says in John 16, He says, in this world, you will have trouble. Everybody say, uh-oh. Okay, did you hear that? Did you hear everybody? Comfort your neighbor. Tell them it's going to be okay. 
Everybody, they're all comforting. They said, uh-oh, comfort your neighbor. It'll be okay. It'll be, it'll be okay. In this world, you will have trouble. But, here's another big but, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Now, now I'm glad two of you get it. That's exciting, right, guys? <laughs> Let me take a drink really fast. Do it again. <laughs> Thank you, Pastor Kevin. No, no, they didn't. You had to keep going. You had, to, you had to keep going. See, I see it this way. In this world, you will have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. I'm going to put it to you in sports terms. I'm not the biggest sports guy, but I'm going to put it to you in sports terms. It's as if we were in the fourth quarter. You got two NBA, two NBA teams, and they're at the championship with one minute left. Got it? You following me? One minute left, you're tied, and you're about to take the championship, and the coach sits down, and he says, hey, guys, life's going to be difficult right now. They're going to break your ankles, whatever that means. They're going to turn on the heat. They're going to turn on the heat. You may get hurt. You're going to have to sweat. Things are not going to be easy, but guess what? I already know the outcome. Can you smell it? Can you smell those hats that you're going to put on that says you're a champion? Can you get, your, get that feeling of that ring? Can you see the confetti falling down? Here's what I know. Here's what I know, guys. We already won. We already won. And what God's saying is you're going to go through some hardships, but guess what? We have already won. We have already won. The battle has already been won. You're going to go through some hardships, but we have already won. So how do we overcome these strongholds? How do we overcome these strongholds? You know, we try to do it in our own, our own ways sometimes. We try to battle with the flesh. Here's what 2 Corinthians 10.3 says. It says, the weapons that we fight with are not the weapons of this world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. You see, sometimes we're fighting the wrong fight. You got issues in your home, but you're fighting each other. Get on your knees, Pray. Submit to the Word of God. What are the strongholds in your life? The first thing we need to do, I've got three points for you. I'm going to try and get through these pretty quick. First thing we need to do is we need to submit to the Lord. Now, looking at Joshua, we know that he needed to submit to God, right? And he needed to submit to his plan. Looking at the walls of Jericho, it would have been easy for, for him to look at that and say, this is easy. Spiritual dynamite. We know it. He can, blow out, he can blast a hole in that. If he can part the seas, he can certainly blow a hole in this thing, right? We know that he has the power to be able to do it, but he had to submit to his plan. Joshua may have looked at that, much like many of us, and said, how do we do this? We'll just do it our own way. But God had a different plan, and Joshua had to submit to that plan. Sometimes we try to do things our own way because we think that our way is a little bit better. How many of you guys have ever thought your way is better than God's way, that your way is better than the way that the Bible says to do it, right? I mean, there's times, you know, that, that we might be, even in our families, we see so many families divided, and the walls are not just the walls that are standing in our homes, but they're the walls that are separating husband from wife and children from their parents. And I have to look at that and say, okay, so how do I submit to God in this? Well, I have to raise my children in the way that they should go according to the will of God and the ways of God so when they grow old, they will not depart from it. Amen? Well, then women, you're supposed to submit to men. Right, honey? I told her today, I said, when you're, I said, when you're here, I said, sit down during the time I'm preaching. <laughs> Doing good. But even in my life, 
as a husband, I have to love my wife as Christ loved the church, which means sacrificially, which means with long-suffering, which means with patience. And I know what you're in here. I know, I know, men, what you're thinking. You're thinking the same thing I think, is at night, when you sit down to watch something nice on TV, am I still supposed to love her when she's eating cereal, chomping like a horse, <laughs> two feet from me? Am I still supposed to love her? Yes. Yes, you are. You just give her, you just give her, give, give her a look of love, you know, like I do. I just look over and I'm like, It's endearing. You just pray. You pray against that demonic Captain Crunch. And you pray that God gives your wife a desire for oatmeal or some sort of bread product or something like that. Nonetheless, we are to, we are to love. We are to love in our homes. But we're supposed to submit to God. You want to know how to handle money? Look at the Word of God. You want to know how to handle your supervisor that you may not be getting along with? Look at the Word of God. You want to know how to handle the fear and anxiety in your life and the depression? Read the Word of God. Read the Word of God. Submit to the Word of God. Sometimes we think we know better, but here's what Isaiah 55 says. It says, My thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are my ways your ways. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, my thoughts than your thoughts. See, sometimes we think we know better in our situation because it's my life, and I'm in the middle of it. But we have to know that God knows the beginning from the end. Amen? It's the only way that we can truly submit to God is by also believing in him. We need to believe in him. Well, I know, I, I know this is one of those things. Believe in the Lord. I believe, I believe in God our Father. Right? We sing it all the time. But faith without works is dead. So it came to the place where the Israelites had to believe in him by believing that God's way was better than their way and walk around those walls, Right? We're going to march around those walls, and we're going to believe that God's going to drop these walls. We believe that he's going to do what he said he's going to do. But here's what we notice. We notice that Joshua wasn't charged to shout with victory after the walls fell. He was not charged to shout with victory while the walls fell. He was charged to shout before the walls fell. He was charged to shout before those walls were coming, crumbling down. You see, what this was is this was praise and anticipation that God was going to do what God said he was going to do. This was a shout of faith of knowing that the same God that brought him through the 430 years in Egypt and another 40 years in the wilderness was going to be able to keep his word because he always has. Turn with me over to Mark chapter 9 if you have your Bibles. If not, they may have it on the screen. I'm going to look at this story here. Mark chapter 9, we're going to start in verse 17. It says this, one of, the men, one of the men in the crowd spoke up and said, Teacher, I have brought my son to you so you can heal him. He is possessed by an evil spirit that won't let him talk. And whenever this spirit seizes him, it throws him violently to the ground that he foams at the mouth and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast out the evil spirit, but they couldn't do it. Jesus said to them, you faithless people, how long must I be with you? How long must I put up with you? Sounds like Jesus is having a day, right? <laughs> Bring the boy to me. So they brought the boy. But when the evil spirit saw Jesus, it threw the child into a violent convulsion, and he fell to the ground, writhing and foaming at the mouth. How long has this been happening? 
Jesus asked the boy's father. He replied, since he was a little boy, the spirit often throws him into the fire and into the water trying to kill him. Have mercy on us and help us if you can. Verse 23, what do you mean if I can? Jesus asked. Anything is possible if a person believes. The father instantly cried out, instantly cried, I do, 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 I believe. Instantly he's crying out, I do, okay, 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 I hear what you're saying. I do, I do believe, but help me overcome my unbelief. It's interesting because he comes to him, he sees his son dying. God, if you can, if you can, if I can. Now, how many times have you come to God, you're going through your struggles, you're going through your fear, maybe anger, depression, addiction, whatever it might be. God, can you take this away? If you can, if you can. The problem is, is if we come to him with this attitude of if you can, then we've kind of already resolved in our hearts that maybe he can't. If I can, that leads us to say, but if you can't, maybe I'll do something else. I mean, what was this father going to do? If you can't, I guess I'll just let him go ahead and kill himself. And sometimes we can do the same thing. God, if you can, but if you can't, I'll find another way to numb this pain. And maybe that other way, maybe I find it at the, at, at the bottom of a bottle, bottle or, or, or I find it some other way. If you can, if you can't, though, I'll find some other way. And sometimes we have this backup plan. We have another backup plan. But here's what the Bible says in James 1, verse 6. It says, be sure that your faith is in God alone. Do not waver, for a person with divided loyalty is as unsettled as a wave of the sea that is blown and tossed by the wind. Such people should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Their loyalty is divided between God and the world, and they are unstable in everything you do. We need to be sure that our faith is in God alone. Not wavering, okay, I'll believe over here, but I'm going to go ahead and do my own thing over here. Well, I believe you, God, over here. I'm going to see a victory. But over here, it's like, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? What am I going to do? You see, when we come to God, we're not supposed to be wringing our hands in anxiety. God, I really hope you can. God, I really hope you can. But have a confidence that brings us to a place where I can clap and say, I believe. I believe in a God who can heal me. I believe in a God who can take away this fear. I believe in a God who can take away this pain. I believe in a God who can heal my marriage. I believe in a God who can bring my kids back. You see, I believe in a God who can do anything, and not a demon in hell or a person on earth can be able to stand up against the walls that God has commanded to fall in our lives. But what are you believing for? What are you believing for? See, I believe that one of the reasons we may not see God do more in our lives is simply because we don't really believe he can. Because what if we believed he really could? Here's what Ephesians 3.20 says. God can do immeasurably more. Everybody say more. More. God can do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us. That means what are you asking for? What are you imagining? God, gosh, wouldn't it be awesome if God can be able to bring my kids to Christ? God says, I can do more than that. I can do more. God, wouldn't it be awesome if you can get me to this place where I'd be out of debt? I can do more than that. God, wouldn't it be awesome if you could take away this pain? I can do more than that. 
He can do immeasurably more than anything you can imagine. What if we came to him that way? Instead of sitting on the wrong side of the walls and just putting up with it. We need to believe he can. We need to believe he can. Next thing we need to do, last point here, we need to wait on the Lord, but we also need to wait on his timing. We need to wait on the Lord in his timing. We know that God has perfect timing, right? God has perfect timing in all things. I'm going to go through another story here in a moment, but before I do, I'm going to tell you a really quick story. I'll tell this one, and I'll come over to this one in a second. I mean, one in Scripture, another one. My wife and I, you guys, some of you guys know we're native from California, kind of. We're from California. We moved here from California. And about seven years ago, as we were talking, we, we got married about 11 years ago now, but as we were talking about getting married, uh, my wife wanted to make sure that we were living in Iowa. This is where we needed to be. The big thing is, is I have a daughter here. Her name is Juliet, and she has a mother that's in California. And the big thing is, is how are we all going to ever get to Iowa? How can I bring my daughter to Iowa? And it became something pretty difficult in our home. It didn't cause division. It just brought us to a place of prayer and sometimes a place of a lot of heartbreak and heartache of wondering how this was going to happen. We were waiting for me to finish my degree. And as soon as I finished my degree, we'd start looking for work and we'd move. Well, I finished my degree and I knew that time was coming. But I could tell you in that three years time, I prayed every single night. God, how are you going to do this? God, how are you going to do this? Every time I pass a class, most people would be celebrating. I would be anxious. God, I don't know how we're going to do this. I don't know how we're going to do this. Well, I passed. I, I got my degree. And I'll never forget the night I was standing in my living room. And my wife, Dina, comes walking down the stairs crying. And for some reason, I was standing at the bottom of the stairs. And, and I looked up. And she's crying. And, and I'm like, what's up? And she says, I, she says, I'm so unhappy. I'm so unhappy in California. She says, I'm not unhappy with us. I'm not unhappy with our family. I'm just unhappy here. She says, and I know that we can't leave our daughter here, and I know that we need to take her with us. I just don't know how that's going to happen. And when you're in a position where you see your wife so unhappy, but you feel like you're responsible, at least for me, it was a big weight. I went, I'm not the type of guy that gets on my knees and prays. You know, I pray when I walk, I pray when I sit, but I'm not really one that gets on my knees. But that night I went into the living room and I'm on my knees. I'm like, God, I've been praying and praying and praying, but I don't know what you're going to do. I felt him say, talk to her mom, Juliet's mom. Next day, I didn't even tell Dina, I talked to her mom. I said, hey, what do you think about moving to Iowa? She says, yeah, right. That was pretty much it. A couple days later, I, I, I called her again. What do you think about moving to Iowa? She says, yeah, right. We all sat down together at, at a meeting to, to talk about it, and she's kind of like, yeah, right. I'm not moving to Iowa. I'm not going to move to Iowa. And we just kept praying, and we just kept praying. We're like, I don't know what we're going to do. We're just going to have to pray that God does something. We're going to have to pray that God does something because we are not leaving our child behind. I get a call one day, and uh, it was July 2nd, and I remember my, my uh, Juliet's mom, she gives me a call, and she says, hey, I need you to watch her daughter this weekend. And I said, oh, okay, well, it's 4th of July weekend. Aren't you going to go see fireworks? She said, well, here's the thing. I bought a plane ticket, and I'm moving to Iowa tomorrow. And I'm like, what? What? You're doing what? She's like, yeah, I bought a ticket. I'm moving to Iowa tomorrow. I'll come over. I'll pick up Juliet right now. I pick her up. I go home. I said, honey, God is doing something, but we need to start packing. We need to start packing. We need to start packing. We need to start looking for work. We need to start packing because we started to all of a sudden feel the foundations 
of that wall begin to shake. And we started to see that God was moving. Next day, she moves to Iowa. Two days later, she gives me a call, and she says, hey, Joe, I got a question. Why am I in Iowa? <laughs> True story. She left everything. She left her cars. She left her clothes. She left everything. It's almost like God took his fingers and picked her and her little puppy up and just moved him to Iowa, and she opened up her eyes and was like, what am I doing in Iowa? For three years, I wasn't sure, but I kept praying. I kept praying, and I kept believing that God can do something. Did I like that time frame? No. And maybe you're in a place where the time frame has been years, it's been months, it's maybe you have something in your life that has been in your family. You're like, well, this is the way my family is, but you know it isn't what God wants for you. I believe there's strongholds in our life that God wants to break down. I believe there's things that God wants to bring victory to you, but we need to come to a place where we're done. We need to come to a place where we're also going to wait on the Lord. You see, we see in Scripture that Job waited through his suffering, but that God was able to replenish him. We see Abraham waited for a son. David was waiting to be king and, and became king at God's appointed time, and Moses and Joshua was waiting in the wilderness for the promised land. And you're like, but I've come to this place where I feel absolutely helpless. There's this awesome quote that says, before there can be a moment of the miraculous, there must be a season of helplessness. Have you, been, have you come to that place where you feel helpless? Have you come to that place where you feel hopeless? That's the place that we come to the foot of God and we say, God, I can't do this. I can't do this alone. I'm going to look at this last passage before we, before we close here. It's Mark chapter 5. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Mark chapter 5. It's a very, um, it's a familiar story in Scripture. Mark chapter 5, verse 25 it says this, and a woman was there, uh, and a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors, but had spent all she had, yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. How much did she spend? She spent everything. Did she get better? She tried in her own way. She tried in her own way, right? She got worse. She got worse. Verse 27. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Immediately, her bleeding stopped, and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. At once, Jesus realized that power had gone out from him, and he turned around in the crowd and asked, who touched my clothes? You see the people crowding against you, his disciples answered, and yet you can ask who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet and trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. He said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. Everybody say freed. She knew she was healed. But there was something different that happened. Spiritually, she was set free. She knew that she was free. See, this is a woman who had been bleeding for 12 years. And just to give you a glimpse of her life, a woman in those days who was bleeding for 12 years would be deemed ceremonially unclean. To be ceremonially unclean means that you weren't allowed in the temple. 
you wouldn't be allowed to go to a place of worship or to a place of gathering. You were ceremonially unclean. So people were like, get away. Get away from me. Family and friends, you, there's something wrong with you. Get away. She had been pushed away by family, pushed away by friends. She had been pushed down by her sickness. She tried everything. The Bible says here, it says, it says that she heard, when she heard about Jesus, though, when she heard about Jesus, here's the thing, she heard about a lot of stuff. She heard about this doctor over there, tried it and didn't work. She heard about this remedy over here, tried it and didn't work. She heard about essential oils, she tried it, it didn't work. She tried everything. A woman for 12 years sits in her room. I guess this is just the way life's going to be. I guess I won't have friends. I can't go into the churches. This is the way life is. A woman who resolved. The walls are up. The strongholds are laid. This is my life. The thing is, when she heard about Jesus, when she heard about Jesus, faith began to rise in her. When she heard about Jesus, hope began to come back to her. When she heard about Jesus, all the other things started to push aside. She says, no, 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 no. I'm not going to stay in this home anymore. I'm not going to sit here and let people push me away. In fact, what she did is she said, she says, I'm not going to let people push me away. I'm going to be the one that's pushing. The Bible says she went out and she began pushing against the crowds so much that she says, I don't need to have him even face me. I just need to reach the hem of his garment. If I could just reach just a little bit of him, he will be able to heal me. And she reaches out, and she reaches out, and she touches him. And the Bible says this. It doesn't say she was healed. It says she was freed. She was freed. And instantly she knew. And Jesus turns. Not just does he feel faith enter his body. Or, or I, I believe that he didn't just feel power leave his body, but he felt faith enter his body. There is something different about this touch. This is somebody who is sick and tired of being sick and tired. This is somebody who is fed up. This is somebody who's tried everything, but this somebody knows that they can be healed. She tells him the whole truth. Jesus, let me tell you everything. Let me tell you everything. She lays it all on the line. What about you here today? See, the plot twist here is that sometimes we're sitting here, we're saying, I'm just waiting on Jesus. The fact is that sometimes it's him waiting on us. Are you ready to come to him? Isaiah 30, 18 says, so the Lord must wait for you to come to him so he can show you his love and compassion. He's waiting on you today. Bow your heads with me, if you will. You may be in this place today where you, you have these strongholds in your life. And it may have something to do with family. It may have to do with your marriage. It might have to do with an addiction that you just can't seem to shake. In addiction, sometimes we go straight to alcohol and drugs, but we can go into to, to gambling and pornography and shopping. There's a lot of different things that we can grab onto, and you just don't know how to shake that. 
It might be some sort of a, a, a sickness that you have or a pain you have, and you're saying, I've just been waiting, I've been waiting, I've been waiting, and I guess this is just the way life is going to be. For some of you, you've been pushed away because of the things you've done in the past. You've been pushed away, so you resolve this the way life is going to be. But I want you to know that God is a God who breaks down walls. And he didn't just do it in Joshua's time. He is breaking down walls and demolishing strongholds. But we need to come to him. We need to submit our lives to him. We need to truly believe and trust in him and know that God has his timing. And if you're here today and you're saying, man, I have been fighting some strongholds in my life that I'm ready to come down. I just want you to lift your hand where you are. And we're just going to pray for you right now. We're going to pray for you where you're at right now. Because I believe God wants to do a miracle in your life here today. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. Heavenly Father, we come before you right now, Lord Jesus. I thank you for the hands that are lifted right here, God. Father, you know their situation, Lord. You know the strongholds in their life. But God, we know that you are a powerful God. We know that there is no wall and there is no stronghold that the enemies can put up that you cannot tear down. So, Father, I pray over these lives right now, Lord Jesus, where their hands are lifted. And I pray, Heavenly Father, that you reveal yourself to them in a way that maybe they've never experienced, Heavenly Father. I believe, Lord Jesus, that faith would rise in them, Lord, and they would begin praising and rejoicing because they know that these walls are coming down. Father God, we just give them to you right now in Jesus' name. Right now, I just want to, we're just going to sing a little bit of this song, I'm going to see a victory. Whatever that situation you're going in, it's interesting because this song, it doesn't say, I hope to see a victory. It doesn't say, I once upon a time saw a victory. It is a song of faith that says, I'm going to see a victory. If you're ready to sing that, let's just sing that. I'm going to see a victory. I'm going to see a victory For the battle belongs to you, Lord Cause I'm going to see a victory I'm going to see a victory For the battle belongs to you, Sing it again, bring it to him Cause I'm going to see a victory I'm gonna see a victory For the battle belongs to you, Lord I'm gonna see a victory I'm gonna see a victory For the battle belongs to you, Lord Thank you, Jesus. Lord Jesus, we're ready to see a victory, Lord. You may be in here and you're like, man, I'm ready for the walls to fall in my life. But maybe for some of you, your faith has fallen instead. Father, I pray, Lord Jesus, that faith would rise in this room. That faith would rise in the lives of these these men and women here in this room today, Lord Jesus. Father, I thank you, Lord Jesus, that there is joy waiting for the depressed. That there is peace, Lord, that is waiting for the anxiety, Lord Jesus. That there is a healing For somebody in here who's looking for healing in Jesus' name, I pray, Lord Jesus, that you bring healing to their lives, Lord Jesus. For those in here that are struggling with addiction, they think it's their secret, they think it's their thing that they do. Father, I pray that you would set them free in Jesus' name of this addiction. 
Father, we know that you've got a purpose in this room. I pray, Lord, that you would release anxiety and release insecurity, Lord Jesus, and that these men and women would step out to be the men and women that you've called them to be, Heavenly Father. Father, we just give this time to you, Lord. I thank you for the men and the women in this room, Lord Jesus, and we know that you've got a purpose for them. But, Father, we thank you that we have victory in Jesus' name. So today, Lord Jesus, we don't sing, I hope to see a victory. We don't say, I hope to see you do something, God. We say, I know, because I believe in a God who can. We thank you, Lord, that you're not the God who just once was, but, Lord, you are the God who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So we yield ourselves to you, Lord Jesus. We submit to you, Heavenly Father God. Have your will and your way in us and mold us to be the men and women of God you called us to be. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. You've been listening to a ministry of Crossview Church in Keokuk, Iowa with Pastor Kevin Hardcastle. For more information about service times and activities, visit our website, crossviewkeokuk.com.